Grab a Bible if you haven't got one. There's Bibles up the back. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We've got plenty that we can give away here at church in the marketplace. Uh, but if you would like to uh, grab a Bible and follow along this morning, if you haven't got it on your phone, uh, they're up the back for you to use this morning. We're going to be Luke. Uh, going to be having a look at just this this famous little event that we hear every Christmas. I wanted to really pull it apart uh, and and delve into it and have a look at it and say, well, what does it actually mean? Uh, next Sunday on Christmas Day, we're going to be having a little bit of fun. We're going to get a little bit creative. But today, I really want to get into the text itself. We're going to be Luke chapter two, verses eight through to fifteen. Let's have a look. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's pray. Uh, Loving Lord, we pray that you might illumine this piece of scripture for us this morning. Father, we pray that you might help us to apply it in our lives. Father, we pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and all that is heard. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. Well, this actually happened, friends. This actually happened on a real day in real life. You can be looking at verses 11 and 14 if you've still got it open in front. Let's have a look at verse 11. When did it happen? Today. This day. It wasn't a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It was today, this day. A real day in actual history. Today, they said, the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. It's not a mythological story, not an imaginary story. When did it happen? Well, it's rooted in human history. Luke, is it pains to tell us this? Is it pains to root it in actual history? It was a day when Caesar Augustus was was the, the Roman emperor. It was a day when Quirinius was governor in Syria. Actual history, an actual day. This actually happened. It was a day planned for all of eternity, but it manifested itself on an actual day. And where? Well, in a real place, in a real town. You can hop on a plane and visit. You can go to this place. You can go to this town of David that it's called. This didn't happen in Narnia or in Middle Earth. This, is, this happened on earth. Here, you can go and visit the place today. A little town by the name 
of Bethlehem. We know that because Luke tells us right here in verse 4. A little bit earlier he tells us this is where it is, called the town of David. Bethlehem is where Jesse would keep his flocks and herds. A couple of weeks ago we heard about the prophecy from Isaiah about one coming from Jesse's line. Jesse is the father of the mighty King David. This happened in the town of David, a little town called Bethlehem, only about six miles outside of of Jerusalem, not far away. This This is a tiny little backwater, tiny little Bethlehem that really didn't amount to very much. But the prophet Micah, thanks guys, the prophet Micah prophesied about this amazing birth in chapter 5, verse 2. Micah prophesies that you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler of all Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient of days. There is one coming from this tiny little backwater called Bethlehem who is from the ancient of days. This has been foretold throughout history. An ancient one is to be born there. And what exactly happened? Well, have a look at verse 11 if you've got it open in front of you. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. A saviour. This is our first little takeaway this morning, church. You are in need of a saviour. And can I emphasise, you are in need of a saviour. If you've ever sinned against God, you are in desperate need of a saviour. It is your most pressing need. Matthew's account of these events in Matthew chapter 1 tells us that an angel comes to Joseph and tells the father that Mary's going to be bare a son and that he will to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what his name means. This is God breaking into earth, the ancient of days breaking into human history because only God can save, only God can forgive sins. I mean, if you come down the front, one of you comes down the front and smacks John Wills across the chops and I come down and comfort him and then say to you, well, I forgive you. I mean, John would rightly say to me, but... But Peter, you hit me. Only the person that is grieved or sinned against has the power to forgive. This is God himself breaking into human history. Jesus himself said that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sin. That's Matthew 9, verse 6. So today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born, one who saves. And, And who is... This, this saviour, well, he is the Messiah or, or the Christ is, is the term. It's the same word in Greek and Hebrew, Messiah and Christ, which literally, the word just means the anointed one. So they would anoint kings with oil back in the day. It was a way of saying this is God's chosen person. This is God's chosen, his anointed one. And he would fulfil all the hopes and dreams of his people because he is also called Lord, verse 11. It says, in today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. Lord means sovereign or, or ruler, or we might just say boss. I tell the kids in our, in our scripture class at Waverley Public School that, 
that when we use this word Lord, it just means our boss. It means we submit to God as our, as our boss. This is the one that Israel had been hoping for for centuries. Isaiah chapter 6 uh, verse, verse 9 says, For to us a child is born. This is Isaiah speaking six, seven hundred years before the time of Christ. It points forward to this day that Luke tells of. For us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Friends, this is the long-predicted, long-awaited Messiah, the Lord, who will be Israel's final king, his final prophet, his final priest, and who indeed will be God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Indeed, our passage today, if you didn't pick it up, uh, something that I've, look, I've preached on this passage many times before, but I'd never picked up the fact that if you look at verses 11, 9 and verse 11, that this word Lord is used for both God the Father and indeed for this child that is being born. If you've got it open in front of you, have a look at verse 9. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around. But then in verse 11, it goes on to say, today in the town of David, the Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. It's the same word. This Lord, who, who has angels of armies at his disposal, will be born this day in the town of David. This is God coming to earth in the form of a baby. This is the Christmas story. This is the good news of Christmas. This is the hope we have at Christmas, that today, in real history, in the town of David, in the real world, a saviour, has been born, one that saves us, one who saves us from sin and death, who is the Messiah or the Christ, God's chosen one, the long-awaited, long-awaited anointed one, fulfilling all of our hopes, the Lord, the sovereign God, the ruler, the creator, the sustainer of all of creation has come. And then after the angel has announced this momentous news, uh, interestingly, they send the shepherds on their way. It says, go and find this Christ child. You're, the sign will be you'll find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in strips of linen and, 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 and lying in a manger. I like that. The shepherds actually had a little bit of work to do. They had to go and do some. It wasn't just presented to them on a platter. They had to go and find this Christ. They had some work to do themselves. What? What work do you need to do this Christmas in order to encounter the Christ, to find the Christ yourself? But then, as if all of this wasn't mind-blowing enough, it seems as though one angel might have been sufficient to deliver the news, but as if this mind-blowing revelation wasn't enough, this one angel is then joined in verse 13 by a great host of the heavens, a great accompaniment of angels appeared. Evidently, one angel is sufficient to bring the news. Angels are normally seen as God's messengers. So one angel is, is sufficient to bring the news, but one angel is apparently insufficient to respond to this momentous news. An army of angels appeared. 
the meaning of this good news, the outcome, the downstream effects, the consequences of this good news, demands an armada of angels. What a sight it must have been, yeah? And what are these angels doing? Well, have a look. They are praising God. Have a look at verse 14. I'm going to spend a bit of time in verse 14. What are these angels doing? The good news has been announced and, and a host of angels appear and they're proclaiming glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those among whose, upon whose his favour rests or among whom he or upon whom he is pleased, depending on which translation you're reading. That joyful night, the perfect fullness of time, in the perfect prophesied city, a Saviour was born who was Christ the Lord. And this news has two magnificent outcomes, two great purposes. One, glory to God in the highest, and two, peace on earth upon whom God's favour rests. Glory to God and peace to man. These two great outworkings, two wonderful results of the coming of Christ. The glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever ascending from God to man. God's glory sung out among the heavens for the sake of his name and his peace being made manifest for all of humanity to access. Lord, hasten the day, amen, when his peace falls upon the earth. It's hardly a better way to sum up, I think, what God was on about when he created the world, redeemed the world by sending Jesus into the world. His glory, our peace. His greatness and our joy. His beauty and our pleasure. The point of creation and redemption in Christ is that God is glorified by the glorious new peace that will descend upon the earth. Come, But I want to just ask you, is that little interesting little phrase, isn't there? Peace upon whom his favour rests. What does that mean? So is this peace for everybody or just for some? Is, it for, is he just shower indiscriminately or, or is there a... Does he appear to sort of differentiate it? How do I know if I'm among those upon whom God's, God's favour rests? I think in answer to that question, the answer is that God's gift of peace is freely given to all, freely given to all of humanity, but I think only some choose to accept it. God's offer of peace goes to out all the world, but only some receive it by trusting in this Messiah as their Christ, as their Lord, as their Saviour. I get this impression from later on in Luke's Gospel. You remember when Jesus sends out the twelve into the nearby towns? You'll find it in Luke chapter 10, if you want to take a note. Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. Jesus sends out the twelve with some special instructions. He sends them out to the towns nearby. And he says, whenever you enter a house, first say, peace to this house, i.e. he sends out the disciples offering peace to all that would accept it. So the, the offer of peace goes out to all, and he goes on to say, and if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them, but if not, it will return to you. So here we have God's peace through Christ 
being freely offered, but only a person of peace receiving it. So how do you know if you're the person of peace? How do you know if you'll be counted among those upon whom God's favour rests? Well, I, I think it really is as simple as whether or not you will welcome this peacemaker, whether or not you'll receive this Jesus into your life, into, into your home. Friend, my prayer for you this Christmas is that you might indeed receive this great Prince of Peace into your life as your Lord, as your Saviour. Welcome him as your boss today. And what does this peace look like? Well, it's not merely the absence of conflict. We think of peace and war, but it's more than that. It's more than simply a mere absence of war or an absence of, of conflict. It, it's, it's a deep communion. It's richness and depth in, in relationship. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago and we looked at the prophet Isaiah making this wonderful prophecy that one is coming who will, where the knowledge of God will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. Do you remember that wonderful phrase? The knowledge of God will be so rich and so deep that the lion will lie down with the lamb, the leopard and the kid, the that the lion will feed with the ox, the child will play at the hole of the cobra and not be harmed. This is a, a, a very deep intimacy. All of creation unified, brought back together in perfect unity and, and harmony. What a day that will be. So I want to suggest to you this morning uh, three great ways that we can access this peace, three avenues that this peace can be made manifest, three, way, three ways that we can seek to own it and apply it in our lives this morning. One, firstly, we can own this peace that is offered to us. We can have peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace with one another. Peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace with the rest of humankind. So let's have a look at each of those uh, and, and have a look at these pieces. But, but I want us to see here, and I, and I want us to make sure that we're holding together what the angels did that night in, in, in Bethlehem. The key to grabbing hold of this peace that the angels promise is, is to make sure that you are giving glory to God. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. The way to own this peace, God's peace, is to ensure that God, is getting the glory in everything you say and do. To make sure that God is the most glorious person in your life, not yourself, not anybody else, not anything else. This is a, this is a, 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 a really subversive concept in 2022, that I am not my Lord, that I am not living for my own glory. No, no, I am giving God the glory in all things. He is the one whose glory I seek. That's what we symbolize at baptism, death to self and living for Christ. That is how we access this peace. To God be the glory. You know how it goes. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. An atonement for sin. And open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and what? Give him the glory, great things 
he has done. As long as you are seeking to bring glory to yourself, you're never really going to know this peace. So firstly, peace with God. The most basic need you have is peace with God. This is foundational to the other two pieces. If we don't get here first, you're never going to experience peace within yourself or peace with others. Any peace that you may find in this life is going to be temporary and superficial. The key passage here is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Thanks, guys. Uh, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So have a look at that. We have been justified. Being justified means that's sort of a churchy word, isn't it? It's sort of like a, you don't hear it much outside the church, but it's a, it's a churchy sort of word. But it just means being made just, being put right, being made pure, acceptable in God's sight. God imputes to you the righteousness of Christ. You didn't deserve it, but he gives it to you anyway. And he does it all how? But have a look at Romans, by faith. You've been justified by faith. Your good deeds didn't do it. Helping the old lady across the street didn't do it. None of that does it. Your own piety doesn't do it. Your following your traditions won't do it. You don't do it simply by being baptized in itself. That won't achieve you this peace and justification. Your church membership card won't get you into heaven. Your parentage or your grandparents, the fact that Nana went to a Methodist church back in the day or Presbyterian or a Congregationalist or indeed a Baptist or a Catholic or Anglican. We, we'll take anybody here at church in the marketplace. But your church tradition won't justify you. It's only through faith in God, by trusting on God, that that is how we achieve our peace. God's anger against us is turned away. We are at peace once more. We are reconciled. We are adopted into his family. He's our father, our friend. We have peace with God. And as a result of this peace, having peace once again with God, being right with God, being made right, put right, justified, having all of our sins washed away, though they be red as scarlet, we are made whiter than the sun. As a result of that, then we're able to live a life of peace here in this world. To have this sort of security of knowing that you have peace with God, that you are right with God, is such a massive blessing. It's going to spill out into other areas of your life. It's so liberating. First, the, number, the second type of peace you're going to have is you're going to have peace within yourself. You're going to have confidence in this life. You'll be stable. You'll be secure within yourself. Anxiety and the uncertainty that tends to paralyze us can be banished. Here again, believing the promises of God uh, is, is key. Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Here it is. Thanks, guys. Big thank you to our sound and media team. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7 is, is, is clear. Paul tells us that do not be anxious about anything, right? anxiety being the opposite of peace. Don't be anxious. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
roll all of your anxieties over to God. Hand them over to God. Lay your burden down. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning just for that? That is wonderful news. The picture here is of, of an assault. And I, isn't that right? The world is assaulting our peace and causing all sorts of anxieties. But the promise here is that God himself is guarding your heart with his peace. Don't you want that? But under assault, all the guilts and threats and confusions, uncertainties, they all threaten our peace. But God himself guards them with his peace, a peace that is beyond our understanding. Don't limit God's peace by your own ability to understand what it is. I'm so glad we worship a God that is beyond my ability to understand. Amen? Otherwise, he wouldn't really be God. Would he really be God if you could understand him? God is beyond our ability to understand. He's beyond our ability to fathom his ways. So when we come to him, remembering that we already have peace with him, that we trust in him as our almighty heavenly father, our heavenly dad, he protects us from the disabling effects of fear and anxiety and guilt. And then we can, can carry on with confidence. Remember, God is still getting the glory for all that we do because we trusted him. Can I encourage you to do that this Christmas? If you've got any fear or anxieties, bring them to the foot of the cross. Lay them down. Let them go. Lay claim to this Bible verse. Remember it. Lock it in your memory. This is one of those Bible verses. It's a great idea to have in your mental armory in your head. You can drag it out at all times. Do not be afraid about anything, but in all things, in all situations, prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And God will guard your heart and mind. He will give you peace. Isn't that good news this morning? And then as a result of that, having peace within yourself, being being comfortable in your own skin, then as a result, you can then go out and enjoy peace with others. You needn't be afraid any longer about what the world might do to you, about what the world might say, about the world's opinion of you. Fear of man is a crippling thing. Can I encourage you to grab hold of God's peace? We all struggle with it from time to time. Uh, ministers are prone to it as well. Fear of man, what do they think? But I've learned a long time ago to not really care so much what any of you think. <laughs> of course, it's an aspirational goal. But at the end of the day, we should all be living our lives for an audience of one, God himself, rather than, rather than those around us. This peace will show up in healthy, life-giving ways that you can relate to others, free of the crippling need to impress anybody. It'll make you immune from otherwise devastating words from others designed to put you down or denigrate you. Now, I do want to acknowledge that this area of peacefulness, peace with one another, is one area that you only have partial control over. We need to acknowledge that. Um, we can't control what other people say and do, which is why I think Romans 12, verse 18 is a key verse here for us. Paul says, if possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. I know for many of us this Christmas around the Christmas table, there'll be some awkward relationships, won't there? There'll be some awkward, perhaps some painful relationships. Perhaps some of these, these pains go back many, many years. Perhaps some of them are, are, are quite new. But I think another word of encouragement for you this morning, a brief word of application is from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I think we've got this on screen. Do we get Ephesians 4 verse 31 to 32? Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. The Christmas table needs this, doesn't it? Families need this, marriages need this, workplaces need this, this Christmas. As far as it depends on you, do your best to put aside rage and bitterness and brawling and slander. Be amazed that you have the peace of God. Extend this peace to others 70 times 7. It may well be thrown back in your face. I want to acknowledge that. It was certainly thrown back in Jesus' face, wasn't it? It hurts and it can make, you, can make us bitter if we're not careful. Friends, can I encourage you this morning, don't let it. Don't let it make you bitter. Don't let it make you hard-hearted. Can I encourage you to keep being more amazed that you've been forgiven by God for all the wrongs you've committed than that you were, were wronged this Christmas. Be amazed that you have peace with God. There'll be hard-hearted troublemakers in the world and maybe even around your Christmas table. They're not amazed that they have the peace of God available to them. Can I encourage you to not be like them? Can I encourage you to be a little bit different, to be salt and light, to bear witness to the hope that we have in Christ? Can I encourage you this Christmas in closing to take hold of this peace that is freely offered for all people and to live for his glory. Hold the two together. Keep trusting in God, knowing that your guilt is taken away. Keep living for his glory, not your glory. His glory, not your success. His glory, not your pleasure. His glory, not your agendas. His glory, not your relationships. Make God the supreme treasure in the treasure chest of your heart this Christmas. And then, like the shepherds, you can then go out in our final verse to go out and see for yourself this amazing thing that God has done. And like the angels, friends, like the angels, you can be like the angels, giving glory to God in the highest, securing peace for yourself, a peace that passes understanding, peace with God, peace within yourself, and peace with each other. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, loving Lord, help us to own this peace for ourselves this Christmas by giving you all the glory. Help us to be like the angels and holding together, Father, the fact that we are living for your glory, not for our own, and that as a result, we can experience peace. Father, help us this Christmas to embody this peace as far as we can, wherever possible, wherever it depends on us, Lord, to be bearers of this peace. 
Father, we look forward to that time when the knowledge of the Lord covers the ocean, covers the sea, like covers this earth like waters cover the sea. When all of creation will be at one, will be at peace. When all of creation will be at harmony, Father. No more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, Lord. Help us to be working for this peace all across the face of the earth, wherever you may place us. In Jesus' name, the people said, Amen. Amen.